as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, consistent practice and action towards your goals to get to that point. All these artists, whether it's musicians or actors, they didn't become famous for their craft overnight. Like, no, you know, and so I think we all need to like realize that for ourselves, like we're not going to be perfect ever. <laughs> There's no such thing as perfect, but we're not probably not even going to be that good in the beginning. This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. It's another podcast podcast people and we have a guest we have an awesome guest someone i'm really really excited to bring to the table this is danae johnson she was in a girl band that opened for akon and she has been in radio and tv for 16 years she's actually currently a radio host so um, you can find out a little bit about that as we get into it and you can hear her talk about awesome and funny things as she rips off new songs for us all to listen to um, she's also a nutritionist and I think this will bring some interesting insight to her path as an artist and a creative person and just somebody who's out there doing some really cool things. And I'm just super happy to have you, Danae. So thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. Yeah. So I want to start here. How did little Danae <laughs> find her way into opening for Akon? How, how did that little journey occur? Can you give us a little bit like a brief lowdown on what happened? I love that. I just had a flashback to little Danae. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like growing up for me, the thing I was most passionate about actually was performing. Uh, you know, like if you have home videos of yourself as a kid, I don't know what you guys were doing in front of the camera, but for me, I was always performing singing, dancing, putting on costume, uh, playing with hair and makeup. That's just something that I feel like is pretty ingrained in my DNA and has been something that I've loved to do since I was a little kid. And so I think a lot of us go through that phase or that period where we kind of get disconnected from that because the world tells us that like to be an artist isn't viable. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you go down different paths and it's kind of funny because they you know also often say that we end up in careers that somehow mirror the things that we actually are really here to do or really passionate about and i got into a career in radio which is all about music and performance and i was interviewing a lot of these artists you know like mm. halsey and akon and Sarah McLaughlin and like, you know, all these people that I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be doing what you're doing. And so to be honest, my whole like music performance passion was put to the side for like a couple decades because I never thought I was good at it. I never thought I was a good singer. And so I just never like pursued that. I just didn't think I was good enough to do it. And then it was actually when I was in a self-development program, which is where I met Brandon, um, that I was encouraged to start getting in touch with that again. So my goal was, I always had this back burner 
passion of like, I want to make music. That was literally like number one on my bucket list. I had this vision of myself and I would envision it all the time. Myself being on stage, just rocking out with my guitar in costume, interacting with the audience. And um, it was such a burning desire and passion that I literally had the thought, if I don't, if I don't do this, if I don't do this by the time I die, I'm going to hate myself which I don't know if that's healthy, but that's how much I really <laughs> wanted it. So I go into this self-development program and I'm like, okay, I'm going to record a song. That's gonna be my goal. I wanna make a song. And so I uh, also started learning how to play guitar. I just got a guitar, started looking up songs online and just like, it's very easy to kind of teach yourself online. There's so many tutorials. Um, and I mean, you can just Google songs that you want to learn and then look up the guitar chords. So I kind of started by playing guitar and then um, singing along with those songs. And it was in this self-development group, one of the coaching groups that I was in, where I was encouraged like, hey, you should put this video out to the world on social media. And I was like, ah, totally terrified because in my mind, I'm still a crappy singer. Like, I don't think I'm really very good. But I was like, eh, gotta play DM, put it out to the world. And I got incredible feedback from it. Like people were like, whoa, you can, you can sing? Who knew? And I was like, I can sing? Cool. And it was actually a girl that was on my social media who I didn't actually know. We were like, you know how it is, Facebook friends, there's people on your feed that often you don't know. Um, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I've got a producer from LA who wants me to create a girl group. We've already got like songs. We just need to find the right women for the group. And it was literally like, wow, this was like manifestation at its best because this was literally like when she messaged me, she's like the producer we're working with has worked with Gwen Stefani and Jordan Sparks and uh, like a lot of artists that are super successful and that I had looked up to. And um, so her and I met, she played me one of the demos, one of the songs that we would be recording. And it was just literally like, I have goosebumps reliving this story right now because it was just such a trip of how badly I wanted this thing to happen and how it literally was just like plopped right in front of me. And so I joined this girl group, we go to LA, we record the songs, and we started going to dance lessons, working on choreography, we had costumes made, we did photo shoots. Like it was literally my childhood dream come true. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, of course, there it's not all like glitz and glam. There, <laughs> there were a lot of components to it that were like, stressful and that I didn't enjoy. Um, but yeah, ultimately we, I'm trying to remember what our first, I think our first gig was opening for, do you guys remember 112 who sang the song Peaches and Cream? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Peaches and Cream, but they also, what, they didn't just do Peaches and Cream. Sorry, cause now I'm thinking like 112, what else did they do? They had like another song. No, too close, that was, that was, that was next. Yeah. I can't remember, but anyhow, sorry, continue. Peaches and cream. Love it. All good. 
So that was our first uh, first gig. Was we opened for one twelve. Amazing. I think from myself, from um, you know being in radio in Vancouver for ten years, I had a lot of connections there, and so I had started promoting the music that we were doing on my social media. And then I had a friend who was in um, like music. He was like a promoter, I guess. Like it was his job to find acts to perform at the different venues in Vancouver. And so because we were our friends or yeah, once again, Facebook friends, he saw on my feed that I was like doing these things and he reached out and he was like, hey, do you guys want to open for 112? So I yeah, yes. And so our first gig, we opened for 112 and then we did well enough that he was like, hey, the next show was actually supposed to be Cisco. That thong, the thong, thong, thong. <laughs> but unfortunately, I can't remember if he like got held up at the Canadian border or what it was. That show ended up not happening. And then uh, after that was opening for Akon. Wow. Yeah. You know what? There's so many things that I would love to comment on what you said. But that, okay, let me start here. There was a time where you were like, like you're a little girl and like there's this nature coming out of you you know this performer and this wanting to do all that stuff and i think that um what's i don't know what's kind of interesting about this this question this path you went down is you got connected to that and and paired it with with this which i think is cool but there was a time where you didn't believe you could do it or that you could be a part of that and there was a period where you started to just say okay i'm going to take some actions you taught yourself how to play guitar and I think this is something I always try to remind myself of and just mention to other people. Like sometimes you just got to take a little bit of action in that direction. And then you don't yeah. know, like the world could all of a sudden open up and you're like literally an example of, you know, like the world literally just like kind of opened up. And it's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, that that can happen. I just, I don't know. That was something I, I think like, yeah. you know to take from your story if you don't if, if you don't take if you take anything away take that away because that's such a that's amazing like that's literally like a miracle it's like a, a dream literally coming true and the important thing i think is i don't know i'm just seeing like because i have i have those moments you know where it's like uh, am i ever going to be able to do this thing that i say i want to do and um and then sometimes just an opportunity just unfolds itself and then all of a sudden you're like off doing it and it might not be exactly how you planned, but it's kind of in that realm. And you're like, wow, like I'm, I'm here. So I just think that's really cool. I wanted to mention that because I thought that was yeah. awesome. Totally. And I think so often I know part of what was going on for me within all that, I think a lot of us do is we have these dreams and these goals and we look at like the big, the end version of that. Right. And so like we see where we are right now and then we compare that to where we want to get and it just feels too overwhelming. So we're just like, Okay, not just don't we just kind of freeze and we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas going back to what you're saying, Brennan, I think that's really key is like just taking breaking it down to like small steps. Like what's one thing you can do today? Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you can consistently do every day? And for me that was like, okay, I'm gonna play guitar for 15 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that discipline's huge. I mean, that little bit of discipline got you from basically being an interviewer of these people to you know performing on stage with them like that's that's the that's the power of discipline you know like that's actually isn't that one of our laws Evan? the the law of discipline like we talk about that practice and practice and discipline yeah yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there is something to be said for me in my life experience. There's something very powerful of when you, I'm a very visual person and I know not everyone is that way, but there's something for me that's um, really crazy about like the manifestation ability of when I get really clear on a vision and continually visualize that combined with taking action on a daily basis, like those two things just create incredible opportunities. Yeah, that's awesome. What 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 got you to? I, I, I relate to that. I, I mean, that's that's a lot how I work as well. Um, you know, I'll tell you a story actually, just because we're on this topic. I have a friend. She's from Toronto, and she painted this little this little picture, and it's a watercolor thing of the city of Toronto, right, with the big needle and everything. Well, I she she left town. She went back to Toronto, and she left the painting. And I really liked it. So I put it up in my room. And within six months, I was in Toronto living in that picture right Oof. next to that needle directing a film. So Dude, can you, you believe that? That's like, I mean, I know we're talking about what sounds like some woo-woo stuff to people, but wow. I didn't even, I didn't even like, I wasn't even thinking like I'm going to direct a film in Toronto, but I got hired. I got flown out. I get to walk around Toronto for three weeks and then go direct a film with a bunch of cool actors and producers and everything and then i was literally like right downtown living in that picture and i was like this is insane like th my thoughts of filmmaking and this picture somehow came together and like my reality manifested like That's so crazy. so wild yeah and going back to what you're saying like i don't know if it's the the when we talk about woo stuff it's like i don't for me how that works is like visualizing it creates uh creates an emotion in me that like gets me excited and I think drives me to then take those actions every day. Oh yeah, totally. I can totally relate to that. You yeah. Know? Because yeah. Cause I think that's an important thing. Like that book, the secret that came out, you know, way back in the day, my, yeah. my big, my big gripe with that was it focused so much on the visualization, but it, it really didn't talk much about the action and right. truth be told there was actions I was taking. I, I didn't, necessarily know those actions were moving me towards this just like when you were doing radio you didn't know that it was moving you to be on stage right but but these actions sometimes you have to be taking action of some form that's 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 what i think i don't think you can just sit in your house and dream about it all day and then hope i think you have to be taking action and even if you don't think those actions relate to whatever you're trying to do they still play a part somehow you've got to do something Totally. I agree. And uh, for me, like, once again, I think the the emotion is a really big part of that for me personally, because I'm somebody I'm like, I don't want to just take action because my mind tells me this is the I should be doing this in the world. And this is what my parents think would be good. It's like, mm -hmm. no, I want it. And that's where the visualization for me personally factors in is like, it gets you excited. It gets you genuinely motivated to want to take those actions. Totally. You know? Yeah. Uh, is that something that you like to throw this word back in there, but to, like that you've had to discipline yourself to do? Because, you know, one thing that that I I find, I think that when I was younger, I definitely allowed myself to like v envision things and get excited about things. And like as I've gotten older, I found that I have to kind of work a little bit harder to to be in that space, you know, like to, to put myself into an excited space as opposed to the idea of something entering into my life and then immediately thinking of all of the things that could go wrong or how it could not pan out. Is, is, is that, 
is that something that like you you feel like you've naturally just sort of kept or is it something that you have to work at yeah i'll be honest when i, I think when i was younger it was honestly a lot easier and then i think I, I almost feel like i've gone through a bit of a midlife crisis in the last couple of years even though i'm only in my early 30s um it's gotten harder this go around and i don't know if that's just because now like the world has had more of its impact on me and i'm not as much of like the free-spirited dreamer i'm more jaded um so now it's definitely much more of a discipline when i was younger it felt like i was just like already in like i i feel so lucky that i feel like growing up from a young age i already knew what i was passionate about and those those um those passions and those visions were just already pretty inherent and i just followed that and it led to so much like happiness and fulfillment in my career and things that i was doing on the side with like the scroll group and things like that um but then i think a lot of us go through a point in our lives at whatever point we go through it where it's like you grow you evolve and the things that you identified with before the things that brought you purpose and passion before maybe don't bring you those things anymore. So now it's kind of like, hey, if I'm not that, then who am I? Um, and so, yeah, this go around, it's been a little bit more challenging, I think. So I have to be, it's very easy, I think now for me to like be, to disconnect from, I think it's easy to disconnect from that vision and those goals now. For some reason, they feel more scary now. And I don't know if it's also maybe just because I've leveled up and like the next things that I'm envisioning for myself are a lot scarier and are bringing up a lot more of like my like issues, childhood trauma, whatever it may be. Um, but yes, I definitely noticed this go around. I'm having to be more disciplined with do you that. Think, do you think that maybe um, this um, kind of, because I can relate to that, this, uh, limitation that as we get older we kind of feel like more scared is actually just like vulnerability because something that i've noticed um like i i went out and i like went out and made my film and raised the money to do all that stuff when i was younger and i kind of felt very fearless and now um as i get older i find that there's more i don't know like let's just call them quote unquote restrictive feelings <laughs> or whatever ideas. And, um, but what I have also found is that if I can get past that, that what's actually happening is I have a much more honest creative voice that's coming out. And I'm wondering if maybe what happens is in our younger years, we're kind of so excited about doing it. And then we go out, like you talked about how, music industry was not everything you thought it wasn't all glitz and glam i found that same thing with the film industry it wasn't as perfect and pretty as i always imagined it was and it did make me jaded i saw really really ugly things with it um but i also like and there's time there was a period where i almost left but i did but as i found my way back into it i've also found that i have a more um honest voice that's going to come out and it has been coming out like as a filmmaker and as a writer um and i feel like that almost like that's more risky in a way to share it and so you're kind of like i'm kind of getting over my my what's holding me back is like can i say this can i do this like who am i to take and and, and the more true it is the more it could almost hurt if it doesn't work you know in a way like so i think 
I'm just curious. I don't know. Do you relate to that yes, at all? Yeah. That I think you nailed it. You mm. nailed it. I think when I'll speak for myself, for sure, when I was younger, I had a lot more protective armor on, was wearing all these masks and showing up even when I was in the girl group, the way that I would show up to something like that now is very different than how I showed up for that a few years ago when it happened. And yeah, the difference now is I'm way more connected to, to Danae and the mm. real person that I am. And so um, doing something from a standpoint when you've got more masks on and you're kind of showing up in the world, not a hundred percent authentic, it's a lot easier to put yourself out there because if that gets rejected, well, who cares? That's not really the real you. Mm. But after all these years of working to disarmor all that armor and get more back to like our childlike selves. Cause ultimately that's what we're all trying to do is just get back reacquainted with like who we were as kids. Yeah. Um, that becomes a lot more personal, a lot more vulnerable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sure Evan can relate to that one too. You know, I've just, we've, we've known each other for a good amount of time. It's, it's funny, you know, it's like, I think there's something interesting open about this conversation, which is kind of like, yeah, like the mask we wear, like as artists, we kind of, we go into this world and we're so bold in the early days because we can wear masks. And that's kind of how, you know, high school, right? Like you just always wear a mask and then you kind of do that with life and it helps you get out there. But then the mask comes off, I think, as you hang in there longer, but that's a good thing, but it's also, it's a maturity thing. Well, I mean, I th- I think that in many ways it's like, you know, when you're younger, you're kind of playing at these different things, you know, and, and there is a more of a playful element to it. And you're not necessarily as connected to, you know, maybe who you kind of authentically truly are. And that has its fair share of pitfalls for sure. Um There was somewhere I was taking this. Don't worry, Danae. This is something that I do on a, on an almost like episode by episode basis. <laughs> but it's authentic. That, it's real. Yeah, yeah. But it's. I I think that when we're younger, we it's like we're playing house. You know, like when when you're even younger than that. You know, you're a kid. You know, it's like you're you're playing house. You're playing at all these things, and then when you're in your late teens, your early twenties and, you know, mid twenties, even you're going out there and it's still, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, but like there's, there was always an element for me, which was like, well, I'm just kind of playing at doing all of this stuff. You know, I'm playing at, at being an actor. I'm playing at being a writer. Um, even though there were like deeper impulses that were within a lot of those things, it was like, I was never really listening to them. And as I've gotten older, it's like, I'm playing for keeps now, you know, like it's not, it's not just kind of just like, yeah, whatever. We're just, we're just playing. We're just playing. It's just like, yeah, I'm playing, but there's meaning behind what I'm playing at. And it's kind of a new territory. It's, it's kind of like a a thing of like trying to get used to this whole new quality that's been brought to the creative process. Yeah, and maybe that's also why it becomes more scary as we get older for us to envision and believe and want those goals. Because it's like before when we're just doing it laissez-faire as as younger people, it's like, meh, if it sticks, whatever, like either way, you're not as vested. 
but as you get older, you start taking a little more seriously. Probably you want to make a career, make a living, have some sort of stability. Like there's a little bit more on the line. Mm -hmm. But maybe we're taking a little bit too seriously. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely think so. And honestly, that was one of the, even when I was in the girl group, like if I could go back, I think that was one of my lessons that I learned. Like I wish I had I had more fun with it. I wish I had played more uh, because it was such a big goal and dream for me. When it came around, I took it very, very seriously. And a lot of the times was just so like anal about everything needing to be perfect and like, I wish I had enjoyed more. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, uh, like I remember when we started to get money into the project that I was doing and it just so much more pressure and trying to make, you know, just making the thing into something. It it started out when I when I was doing uh, Soldiers of Apocalypse, which is like the show that kind of got me some opportunity was like, we literally, I, I, I basically went to people and I said, I'm going to make this show. And they were like, you can't do that. It's impossible. Cause it was like this big vision thing. And I was like, I'll show you. And me and my <laughs> friend went with like $2,300 that we somehow scraped together between us. And I knew enough people in the industry to like just pull in favors. And for like 2,300 bucks, we like made this like 16 or something minute like action movie. And when we did the premiere, there was like 350. We packed the place so, so much they couldn't even bring anyone else in. And, um, there, you know, it was, but the thing was when we were doing that, it was all about having fun and creating. It didn't matter like if it was perfect or whatever, but then as we started to get money, there's just like, things started to get, there's more pressure. There's like, well, now we need to do this. And it's like, um, one of my mentors, uh, uh, Gabe, who was actually on the show, he said, you know, never believe your own hype, <laughs> which yeah. is, is so true. You know, like you start making it to something, making it quote unquote, you start making it in your own little mind and you start thinking, oh, now I got to play at the level of making it. And it's like, no, you need to keep having fun. Like you always were. Maybe they throw more money at you. Maybe it's a bigger thing. Maybe it's for more people, but you still need to do that. Cause that's what people are buying. Really. That's why they gave you money. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that can translate to almost anything we do in life. It's like, I always think of like, people don't necessarily remember what you say, it's how you make them feel. Mm -hmm. And so whether they're watching a film, whether they're watching you perform on stage, whether they're listening to me on the radio, even when we're having one-on-one -on -one conversations, how are you making someone feel? And most people want to be entertained. Most people want to feel good and have fun and laugh. So like the more as artists, the more that we can be genuinely having fun with what we're doing in our craft people will authentically feel that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we've all had that experience. And I can definitely think of numerous ones. Once again, whether I'm on the radio or performing, the days that you're faking it, trying to see happy and like you're energetic or whatever. If you're having a crap day and you just broke up with your boyfriend, like I think people can pick up on those things. Mm -hmm. It's the like more authentically we can be doing it, the more authentically people are going to feel it. Yeah, it's like an energy. We give off an energy and we have we have cues and tells that we don't realize they're coming out of us. And those are things you, you couldn't control because there's just too many of them. And, mm -hmm. and they're like beyond, I think they're beyond conscious communication. You know, like people kind of know if they really stop and they check with their gut, they kind of know the truth if they really listen. But we yeah. kind of, I think we play along. Like when, like for example, you ask somebody, how are you doing? And they go, I'm, I'm fine, I'm good. 
And we accept that not because we, we believe them, but because we're like, yeah, I'm going to just, you say you're fine. That's a socially polite thing. But like in the truth, we might be like, mm, they seem like they're having a rough day. You know what I mean? But we don't say that. And I think there's a little bit of a, I think in our culture, we have a little bit of a, like, let's just pretend <laughs> that everything is okay because it's, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and I think the problem is, is like a lot of the time we start to believe that we're telling everyone it's okay, that they're actually believing it because you know, in a weird way, we're not connected to whatever we're going through. But I found that the more, I mean, there's not, everything's not always the place to do that, but I think the more that you're honest with what's actually going on for you and that includes your artist's voice, just as much as your emotion, I feel like that is really the currency of artistry, but it's how much can you marry that truth to, yeah. I a million percent agree from working in radio for 16 years and hearing the different artists and the songs that make it onto the radio. There is no doubt about like the mainstream formula that so many of these artists try to duplicate because they know it's what's going to get them a mainstream hit and their song on the radio. But those songs you can feel don't have the authentic expression and human mm -hmm. emotion. You know, I think uh, it was uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith was on Joe Rogan's podcast recently, and he was talking about like how auto-tune has ruined the music industry because everything is so perfect and formula nowadays. What we love as humans is like real authentic expression. Hmm. Whether it's like you're having a great day or you're having a crappy day, just be real about it. People are going to connect to that far more than something perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, a little while ago, I, a friend of mine had lent me this book, and I can't even remember what it was called. I I wasn't crazy about it, but it was it was kind of like a very analytic view of creativity that seemed to kind of like, for me, it, it it's like, okay, you know what, this is terrific if you're a person who doesn't necessarily view themselves as a creative person, you know, you're a banker or something like that, and you pick up this book and you want to think, like, oh, maybe I could be creative, then it was a good way to go. But, you know, the author talked about how it's like, oh, music, it's a formula. Like, there's the, here's these producers and, and like, they've got, and like, and they've had all of these huge hits on the radio and all of their sort of, um, the people who've come through their sort of process of producing, like, they produce all these hit songs. And I'm like, yeah, but if you ask these guys what they listen to, you know, they're not, they're, they're listening to Bon Iver or something like that. Or, you know, like one of my favorite sort of pop artists today is Hosier, you know, like when he hit it, I was just like, holy shit, thank God. Like, it, it's just like his, there's just something so, uh, incredibly soulful for him as, as a, as a, as a pop artist. And, but there's so many influences in his music. So it's, I don't know. I don't maybe we're veering off into another topic but as as someone in radio and someone who has you know who has made music who's passionate about music you know what are your sort of how how do you feel about kind of the current state of of popular music and and maybe you can give some examples of who are some of these artists who are kind of like coming who are making it through through that are something special and genuine mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. How do I feel about the current state of it? I mean, I work for a top 40 radio station, so I feel... I feel like a lot of the songs that are coming out that are like mainstream, which usually are top 40, um, a lot of them don't have a lot of heart and soul and passion. And they're like, a lot of the times, you know, they're great for like, you put them on your gym playlist for a month or two, but they're not like these classics that just are incredible that can like stand the, the test of time, you know, like, are we are we really gonna remember Justin Bieber's latest hit in a year from now? Probably not. <laughs> you know, so I think that there are genuinely a lot of artists out there who are making great content um, because I believe there are enough humans out there who are connected to their hearts and their passions and are making art from that place. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of what is being shown in the mainstream is not a lot of that. It's, I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot of it's garbage. You know, it's all about like who looks the hottest. If you like anybody that's hot nowadays, you could get behind a microphone and auto tune it. Like, unfortunately, you know, yeah. there's like, it's kind of music that, that is, is good momentarily. It's like very fad kind of music. It's like, yeah. it's, it's good in the moment. Like it's kind of, you know, got a little bit, it's, it's got something to it, but really like, it's not a song you'll really remember. It's not something you'll pull up later. Um, and I think there's a, I think there is a, a money churning system that tries to basically kind of go get that moment to moment. Like, let's just get something playable right now and keep yeah. filling that void, you know, and that's what that music does. But there's certain songs. I mean, we could think of many that they just, it doesn't matter. Like they just will last and, and people remember them. And when they come on, you're like, Oh, that song, you know what I mean? Yes. It's just like, it has something about it, you know? Absolutely. And I think part of that is like back in the day, artists had to sell full albums. So their full albums had to be good for us to want to go out to a store and buy the whole thing. Whereas, yeah, now, like you say, it's like, it just feels like the world is so, we're just like mass producing everything. And it's more about quantity than it is about quality because everybody's just racing to stay top of mind you can't mm. go away for too long or the world's gonna like hosier is a perfect example of that he came out with that album but take me to church that whole album was phenomenal and he was getting a lot of mainstream focus and then he disappeared for a good chunk of time probably because he's being a legit artist who wants to create an authentic good next follow-up album but it feels like I feel like what happened with him is he spent too long out of the limelight and then he came back with these new songs and he's not getting that same mainstream attention that he was hmm. like, you got to strike hmm. while the iron's hot, unfortunately, hmm. unless you're so, so like that whole other adage of like, be so good. They can't ignore you. Hmm. Yeah. It's harder just, to cut through nowadays. Just very quickly. Uh, this is kind of a side question. What, what's your favorite musical era? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I want to say, who my favorite musical era. I don't know. What about you guys? Like, are you talking like a time? Like, like the 40s, the 50s? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 80s and 90s, you can't, you can, everybody always says the 80s and 90s. I've, I listened to a lot of like growing up. I'm trying to think like the music my parents listened to. 
what era would that have been in? Like um, Madonna, the Immaculate album and In Excess. I don't really know what era that would have been like. I guess that would have been 80s. 80s, 90s. Yeah, I think I think for me, I'm just thinking about it. I think the 80s and it's something to do with being a little kid and and experiencing mu- music with such an open and free heart. And there are so many songs that were in like these like stupid 80s movies. <laughs> like When I hear them, they just bring back like pure nostalgia. But it's like there's something about the 80s for me that was like, I mean, I didn't understand music. I also remember being in the eighties and I didn't listen to lyrics at the time. I just, it was, it was a lot, just the sounds. And I remember if something just gave me a good feeling, I was like, I was up and I was jumping on the couch and my parents were always like, get off the couch. <laughs> so just to like dance into songs, you know? <laughs> do you think know, it was, um, do you think it was being a kid that made the music so good? Or do you think that the music that was being made back then was better? Well, I think it was more for me. I think it was more just being a kid. I honestly, I think that was, that's where like, I have like a lot of emotional ties to like, um, music brings me, I find with music, I find, I experience a lot of nostalgia. Um, it brings all sorts of like memories and feelings and sensations that way for me. That's just how I experience it. So I think like when I'm going through those nostalgic feelings coming, it, it, it can bring me right back to being a kid. So I think 80s maybe, is is like that for me but as far as the best music goes of what time honestly don't know i i feel like i'm not an expert on that i have my opinions but i don't know what they count for i, mean, that, I think, it's, I think when it comes to musical yeah. taste it's all opinions you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's no objectively better one although you know I, I i don't have quite as much love for the 80s as as you two do but um <laughs> Well, well, we hey, get logged in and have a dance party. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's do it. <laughs> What's your time? What's your time, Evan? We got it. You, everyone's what, played. <laughs> what, oh, my time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like uh, for me, like I've I've always got love sort of for like the late sixties to like through the mid seventies, like the kind of like the rock and roll that came out from that time, the British blues. Um, you know, like. This when you had like Zeppelin and the Beatles and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And, you know, like I, I, you know, I grew up on that stuff. My parents were listening to that all the time. And, and for me, it was just like, I, I came to love that music so much, which was like this music that had so much of a message to it and so much power to it. So for me, it's like, I kind of like, it's my sort of judgment on the eighties, which is just like, well, all of the meaningful music got made in the sixties and seventies and the eighties. They just said, let's do Coke and party. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is maybe why you're having so much fun when you listen to it, Brandon, because they were yeah, having maybe. probably a pretty yeah. good time. <laughs> just well, I was a little kid and I didn't understand why everyone was having so much fun, but I was, I was, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Danae, you, um, so the first time I actually saw you perform live, you did a song. I don't remember what song it was actually at the moment, but you did it in a different style than it was meant to be like, than it was originally done. Do you remember that song? Yeah, I do. What, that was it really me. moved me. And I remember what, what song was that? It was no doubt Sunday morning. Yeah. I remember yeah, it- we stripped it down acoustic and I changed it up a bit, like the arrangement and stuff. 
Yeah, it was really soulful and heartfelt. Like that was one of those, it's funny because, you know, I've seen a lot of live performances, but that was one of those performances that like honestly has has always stuck with me. And um, it was like one of your first live performances, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was it your first? Yeah, actually it That's was. so crazy. That's so crazy. I saw, yeah, I saw you get up there the first time. And I, I remember, I don't remember who was next to her. I was like, she's really good. I was just like, because I was just like, that's so cool that I actually got to see your first performance. That is really cool. I mean, aside from karaoke, that would have, yeah, that would have been the first like official real one. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, and you took it, I mean, that's just how the power of music, right? You can take something that's kind of meant, kind of designed to go one way, or at least it was initially created that way. And then you take it and you find all this soul in it, which I thought was, that was really awesome. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. Brandon. Was that, yeah, you bet. Was that like super nerve wracking for you when you were doing that the first performance? A million percent. And yeah. I think that was the challenging thing, both with that performance, because it was pretty much like that performance. And then I didn't perform in between. And then I was in the girl group. Right. Opening for 112 and Akon. Um, and so like, I think in the past, my only performance music performance experience really had been around like, yeah, when you're like going and like having a whole bunch of drinks at karaoke. Mm. And I went into these actual legitimate performances being like, I want to be sober. I want to be able to perform with like a level head. <laughs> um, and it was definitely very, very nerve wracking mm. for sure. I, but I think a big part of that too, is like have that expectation and the pressure of like this childhood dream, like, you know, I think the more that we we are attached to something needing to be perfect or successful, the more like anxiety we have around it. Yeah. Right. I was recently just oh, I opened up a a book by Dan Millman. I don't know if you're familiar with with Dan Millman. Um, no. He ha he had a book. He's I think his most famous book was called Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Oh uh, yeah. Which, yeah, and it was turned into a movie, and um, but he's got like this this one book called the life you were born to live. Anyhow, I was going into it and I was talking about perfectionism and because it's something that I've struggled with too, of just like this thing of perfectionism. And I've heard so many things about it. Like, you know, perfectionism is the refusal to move forward. But there was this one sentiment that said that perfectionism was a game about losing. That if you're a perfectionist, you're in a game of losing unavoidably is true <laughs> and it just like that really hit me and it's like is is it, you were saying before that you know you didn't have like you wish that you'd enjoyed it a bit more when you were with with your girl group is was it a kind of a perfectionist thing that kind of reared its ugly head for you <laughs> a million percent and that's uh it's still to this day something that i i struggle with i've let go of it more so but yeah, the perfection thing is still, still always there. Yeah, I find with perfectionism, like it, it can rob you from your experience of something, like for one. And I think that's the shame that I think a lot of perfectionists experience. They like, like you said, I wish I had more fun, you know? And when I've done that myself, it's just like, why didn't I just enjoy that? That was awesome, you know? But I was so worried about, you know, like I, I remember a couple moments where I was, um, acting and directing at the same time, <laughs> oh, man. 
Like, I don't feel, I don't personally experience anxiety. Like it takes a lot to make me experience anxiety, but that was probably the most anxious I'd ever felt because it was so important, but I was so out of control because I was supposed to be the director, but I was also supposed to be acting. And I find acting to be extremely vulnerable because you're like in front of the camera and, you know, and a lot of things are happening and you're just kind of, you have to like rely on this instrument, which is your body to like tell you what's truthful. Meanwhile, there's all this other stuff. And if you're trying to control that, what you're trying to do this thing with your body and act, it's like, <laughs> they just don't go together at all. <laughs> and um, the anxiety I felt of trying to like let go of control and just be as an actor. And then I look back and one scene in particular, when we did a viewing, everybody laughed and it was funny and it was really good. But I was like, why didn't I just relax and enjoy that? I was so worried about trying to make everything perfect yeah. that what I found was like, if I just trusted more, I would have been okay. And it's like, oh. yeah, I just, totally. I just wasn't trusting enough, really. Yeah. Damn. And I think the other unfortunate thing with perfectionism is a lot of the time it prevents us from even trying the things that we want to do. Totally. You know, like, honestly, if it wasn't for if literally, if it wasn't for me being in that self-development group in that coaching group and them challenging me, cause that was my hang up then was I'm like, I'm not good enough. It's always, it's not good enough. It's not perfect enough. And they're like, who cares? We just put it out there. And if it wasn't for that, I didn't want to do it cause I didn't think it was good enough. And that led to a whole crazy experience of me going to LA, working with this incredible producer, opening for Akon, like all these crazy dreams unfolded because I got out of my own way. Mm. And I think that is something that I still struggle with. And I'm sure there are a million other people out there who are holding themselves back from doing the things that they want to do because they don't think that it's going to be good enough. Mm. And it's really unfortunate because I think also we compare ourselves to the best, the people, the best of the best in the industry, where it's like when you first start out, you're not going to be as good as these people you're looking up to and comparing yourself to. So it's just like, what's the point? Why am I even trying? I'm not, I'm not good enough, hmm. but we have to realize it takes, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, consistent practice and action towards your goals to get to that point. All these artists, whether it's musicians or actors, they didn't become famous for their craft overnight. Like, no. you know, and so I think we all need to like realize that for ourselves, like we're not going to be perfect ever. <laughs> There's no such thing as perfect, but we're not probably not even going to be that good in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of those people that you, you look at and have put on the pedestal and that you're comparing yourself to, which is a huge mistake in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like, you know, I was watching like, um, that, that Lady Gaga documentary, like last year that's on Netflix. Five foot two. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the one. Or five foot one or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, she's inc incredibly, oh, incredibly <laughs> talented. Um, but I mean, it's like, and, and works very hard at, to, to do what she does, but it's just like, if you try and compare yourself, it's like, do you realize that like Lady Gaga has a team, you know, there's like the whole, it's not just her that like when you see her on stage or in a music video, that's not just Lady Gaga. That's the Lady Gaga team yeah. <laughs> that's like pulling its weight in all of these different ways, you know, to like to to 
give you that quote unquote perfect, you know, and I think that that sort of that comparison that we place on ourselves is is such a massive disservice to to who we are, to the gifts that we can potentially bring and, and can really stifle our creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you I still think playing guitar? That, Sorry. Am I still playing? <laughs> Finish what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. I am, to be honest. It's um it's one of these things where I like do it for a while and then I stop. I'm uh I'm a bit of a nail biter. And so like <laughs> sometimes uh I get fake nails, so I stop biting my nails and then I can't play my guitar. So um that's that's the honest truth. When I when I go through periods where I'm able to not bite my nails, I'm like, yay, I'll play my guitar. <laughs> but stressful times, I'm like, <laughs> I get nails and I can't play my guitar. That's funny. So you're a uh, finger strummer. You don't you don't pull out the pick or anything like that. Well, it's hard to do the uh, like the frets. Like it's hard to do the different chords. You kind of need to. Do either of you guys play guitar? You do, Brandon, don't you? I play a little. Evan plays a lot. He's really good. Yeah. I'm- I'm like a dabbler. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's incredible. He's incredible. Dude, and he won't guitar. say it, but I'll say it. He's fucking awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, Evan, so you know then, you pretty much need to be able to have your fingertips press against the the frets, no? When yeah, you can... yeah. The, the sort of like my left hand's got to, like it's got to be trim all the time. And yeah. I, I played classical for a while, so then for a while I was like I had the left hand super trim and the right hand was just like long nails so you could <laughs> do finger pick? Yeah. yeah. Nice. And then I decided I'm like I want to start learning how to play songs that people can sing around the campfire and so I kind of dropped classical but <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know how Dolly Parton does it cuz she's always got these crazy talents and somehow she's I think she has like a special instrument or tool or something that she's using to be able to do it. I yeah, no I didn't even think about that. Well, and as you wouldn't, you're men. You guys don't have these things. Hey, let's 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 take a little detour over here, Danae. You're talking about okay. So you went you went um, from little, little. You told us the story, little girl to opening for Acon, right? Um, what were some of the things about when you actually got the when the when the vision and the dream starts to happen, right? What are some of the things that maybe like you i don't know maybe you want to share with other people so they're kind of maybe prepared or like they kind of are aware like that maybe the the things that would be good to know when you if you you know get into these positions like 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 um some of the maybe more uh challenging things or the things that aren't so lovely um on that side of the the world when you get to that position yeah are you specifically talking with music Sure. Yeah. I mean, or anything if you want to go into that, but yeah, I was kind of thinking about music and that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the challenges, like we were trying to get our song on the radio and like one of the challenges with music getting onto radio nowadays is like back in the day when I first started in radio, I remember legitimately having different local artists that I was like, wow, this guy's really talented getting his album, going and putting it on my boss's desk saying we should play this guy. And guess what? We played him. When I started in Vancouver at the beat 94.5 back in 2009, shortly before that, like we were one of the first radio stations to play Lady Gaga before she even got huge. She came into the station and this was before she was like mainstream huge, but our music director thought that she was talented enough 
to put her music on the radio. And that happened a lot more back then. Whereas now, a lot of it is like Canadian radio is basing what they play off of what's charting in the U.S. Hmm. And so it's a lot more challenging, I would say, to get your music on radio nowadays. Like, even though Canadian radio, we have to play 35% Canadian content, I feel like a lot of that uh, content is still coming from, from the U.S., and I don't know if this is true for sure, but I have a friend who is a musician and she's been trying to get her song on the radio. She's been having a heck of a time here in Canada. Um, she's charting in the US and she was telling me in the US, like it's very common there for them to um, engage in payola, like right. to be paying to get their music played. I've heard about this, yeah. You know, and as far as I, like, I thought that that was no longer able to happen anymore, but I, I feel like that must be happening because otherwise, why are so many of these artists that are maybe not as talented getting so much more mainstream airplay? Like, it seems to me like some of these, maybe these bigger radio, uh, these bigger music companies like Sony or whoever have some sort of connection and so their artists are getting played more often because i'm sorry to say i feel like there's a lot of the times where i'm like why are we why are we playing this like there's so many other artists out there who are genuinely so much more talented how is this getting airplay so yeah that's yeah. just something challenging to to contend with, I think. And as, and we had a hard time with that. Like we we almost got it on a few times, and of course, it was kind of a conflict of interest as well because I was working for the radio station. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of hard to to break through. Hmm. There were there was an interview I saw with the Black Keys on on Joe Rogan, and uh, and oh, I can't remember the drummer's name now. Matt, Matt Kearney. I can't anyhow, but the drummer of the black keys, like he just kind of like went off and said, like, even for them, like they're a pretty big established group. Um, and it, with their last album, you know, the, their sort of, um, distributor, I, I can't remember who it was. They basically handed them this deal and they said, this is a shit deal. Why would we, why would we sign off on this? And they're like, well, they're like, if you want to have a number one record, this is the, this is the deal you've got to sign. Like, if you want your record to like chart at the top, then you basically you take this hit. And they just kind of said, screw it, we're gonna do this deal. And you know, the people who like our music are gonna come. They're gonna listen to our music, and we don't give a shit about our record being at the top. But they said, like, you know, we're in a position where we can where we can kind of say, screw you to these like companies and labels, but for young artists, you know, what the hell are you supposed to do? Like when you're inexperienced, you don't necessarily have the right people in your corner. Yeah. You know, and you've got this, this carrot being dangled in front of you for something. Like, I, I, I don't necessarily know what you might have to say about that. Yeah, but it's... no, for sure. There's a lot of artists nowadays that I think are intentionally not going with labels because of that. I 
have a lot of friends in the music industry and a number of them who have worked with labels and it can happen where you get picked up by a label, you sign a contract and then they kind of like put you on like a bit of a, a back, back seat because somebody newer and hotter comes in who's getting more traction. And so then like, you're kind of like in some of these cases stuck where like, you can't release music, you can't tour, you can't really do anything because your label's not putting the time, energy or money into you as the top priority. But you're like, you're stuck, you're locked. You can't do anything. You can't get out of the contract. And I think like one of the stories that just stands out in my mind, like, do you guys remember Jojo, that artist Jojo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember Jojo. Do you? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Leave. Get out right now. She had that song? Yeah. Um, please don't judge my singing based on that, by the way. Um, <laughs> she was one of those artists who, like, she, that, that song, like, she was, like, that was forever ago, but she was, like, really big. And then something like that happened with her label where they totally just screwed her and she couldn't release music forever and it totally ruined her career. Mm. So yeah, I think there's a, there are a lot of cases like that where people are, artists are put on the back burner or they sh- uh, sign crappy contracts. Like you've heard of that even happening to the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, like the guy who got them to sign contracts, they got totally financially screwed. Those, the boys in that, bo- those boy bands should have gotten way more money than they did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have to be really smart about if you are gonna work with other people Make sure you have stuff written, contracts, signed. Make sure you know exactly what you're signing. Um, But yeah, a lot of artists nowadays, because of social media, are able to just take it into their own hands. And I mean, if you are good at building a social media following and can create great content, then I mean, look at Jason Derulo is a perfect example of this. He hasn't had a number one hit in 11 years. And within this last year, he's been killing it on TikTok, which is such a huge app right now. If you blow up on TikTok, you can get a mainstream song. And well, he's built a huge following on TikTok. He's just making random videos that have gotten a lot of traction. And now he's created a song from one of these songs that were like instrumentals that were trending on TikTok. And now he's got his first number one song for the first time in 11 years. So if you can be smart and knowing how social media works, it's all, it's all about like cutting through and getting people's attention, right? If you can get enough following and traction, then you can, you could probably do it independently. Hmm. I think one of the things that, uh, that kind of comes up for me, it's just what, what we're talking about is how important having like integrity and values are as an artist, because yeah, it's, and, and also combined with, not wanting it so badly. I feel like most artists end up signing bad deals, uh, myself included, because you want something really bad. I I signed a contract for a script and I I just wanted to get paid to write. And and to me, it was like, oh, great. Like, you know, but I didn't really think it out. And then I got into this thing and I started to realize, shit, this is not a good deal. Like, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm their writing slave now, you know, like, uh, like initially it was great, but then there's no, there's no, like the, the, the points on the back end, the, um, the number of drafts, none of that's clarified, you know? And now it's like, well, this back end money that I was waiting for and hoping for and planning to get, 
I just had to be like, I'm probably never getting that. And this is just reality. And I realized like they kind of got a deal out of me because really when I got the contract, the number I saw was the, the big number, but what they got to pay me was the little, the littler number, or like, no, not near the big number. And to me, that was kind of like, well, shit, like, but I didn't know. And and the thing I learned from that was because I wanted it. So I didn't, I didn't really think it out. And I didn't really like ask the questions and I didn't really even terms in, in certain things. I didn't clarify those terms. I'm still learning that. Like I'm learning that all the time with every time I do a new project. And it's like the, what I found the hardest thing is sometimes you don't have anybody there to help tell you what the right thing is to do, you know? And when you tell your friends or you tell people like, that's awesome. You got this. That's great. Everyone's like super cheerleader for you. And which is awesome, but no one's there kind of going like, be careful of this. At least I didn't have enough people in my corner at the time who knew any better. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like a lot of artists, I mean, I, that's why I asked the question. Cause sometimes it's good for us to know these pitfalls. Like, I wish I knew that. I just wish I knew that. Cause then I could go into things. And I feel like there's still things like, I just always want to ask artists, like what, what are your pitfalls? Cause then, you know, cause I'm planning on succeeding. I think everybody should look at it that way. You're planning on succeeding. Like, and if you are, and start learning the pitfalls when you succeed. Because I used to think when I was younger that success was just this awesome golden road of just everything. Like you just like everything's wonderful, but it's just not. Like the more you succeed, the more pitfalls seem to appear. Because now you have something, you're worth something, and people can get something out of you. Yeah, yeah. I would say probably the one of the biggest things I got out of my situation was just to anybody that you're going to work with, create a contract. Because in the beginning, it's easy for people to be like, oh, we'll create a song. And like, if it goes viral and we make a million dollars off of it, like it's all equal. Like if that's just all talk and you've got nothing in paper, well, once money's involved, often people change. Mm -hmm. So just make sure before you, yeah, whether you're in a group with other musicians or you're working with writers or whoever, like write, have a, have a contract. Yeah. And don't be scared to have the conversation either. I think that a lot of people avoid it because like, well, I don't want to make things uncomfortable or, you know, step on anyone's toes, but that's what you need to do. It's going to get a lot more uncomfortable when the money comes in and then everybody is like stabbing one another to try and get this and that. And like, it can just, thankfully that didn't happen in, in my case, but like that definitely happens often. You have mm-hmm. to cover your, cover your back like that for sure. Totally. What was that like for you? Because like from putting out a song on social media to being like just from the way you described it, it's like you were just like immediately like thrust into this position, like like zero to a hundred in like two seconds here. I'm sure that must have like, I'm sure there was a whole swirl of thoughts and emotions that were going on with all of that happening like can you just touch upon that a little bit I think a lot of it honestly was just excitement I was just like so jacked like I can literally remember where I was when I got her message just being like what (laughs) like it was like disbelief that at first I'm like is is this for real like is this person 
really, it just seemed too good to be true. So disbelief, excitement, like times a million. I think a lot of it was just like those kinds of emotions. Um, had the, had by that point sort of like, you know, your confidence in, in yourself was like, you know, like maybe that's what I'm kind of really after is because, you know, you mentioned that, like, you know, you go through these doubts of like, am I even a good singer? Is this is this even all right? And then suddenly it's just like, you're like, hey, we want to we want to put you in like, you know, working with these big people. You're going to sing in front of them. You're going to be singing in front of the audience. You're going to be doing concerts, yeah. opening up for these big people like like, holy shit. Like what? Yeah. Was there any kind of a moment of being like, I can't fucking do this? Yeah. I mean, the whole time I honestly didn't, I still didn't really think I was that good. I, I feel confident in my ability to perform and captivate an audience. I love performing. I love being on stage and I love connecting with people while I'm on stage. That I feel confident about. Um, but the entire time, whether I was when we were recording with this Big, t- big shot producer in LA or when I was performing, I never felt overly confident in my singing ability. Um, and even still now to this day, like in fact, one of my uh, coworkers here in radio, like we went out and did karaoke before COVID and he's like, why are you not pursuing this? Like, why are you not making music? And there's still the part of me that just like feels like I'm not good enough. Like Mm. even uh, he just got me to sing something at work the other day and he like produced it at work and he's like, you sound amazing. And I responded back to him and I was like, yeah, but nowadays like people are so like, everyone's so phenomenal that you have to, you have to be incredible to cut through. There's just like so much noise everywhere. So there's still the part of me that struggles with that perfectionist and not feeling like I'm good enough to do it. Danae, Danae, if I was going to, if I was going to give you one little piece of advice, if you want, I do, (laughs) I would say instead of going for quality, go for depth, go for, just go for something else because what's happening, I think you have a, it, it just, it, and, and I see this in myself and I've seen this in lots of clients and people I've worked with in the arts, but it's like, it's a hang up, right? Cause it's like, if you look at it, you maybe the filter that you're looking at your, cause I've struggled with not, let me just preface it with this. I struggle with not good enough my whole life. It's been such a big struggle for me, but something I've learned about not good enough is that not good enough is often based on a faulty filter. So like for me, um, as an actor, I'm just like, well, I'm not Chris Hensworth. <laughs> it's like, I don't look like that. I don't look like Brad Pitt. So what do I think I'm doing being an actor? And the thing is, is that, but that's one filter looks and looks aren't the only thing that necessarily makes an, an actor. But like, if that's the only thing you compare yourself on, mm. you know, so like with your singing, with your music, um, I'm sure there's things like that. And I'm sure lots of people out there in various industries and of arts, we compare ourselves on a faulty filter and we say, well, I'm not, I'm not that. So I can't be good enough. And it's like, maybe you just need to change the filter in which you rate or base that through just an idea. That's re- that's actually really great advice, Brennan, because I actually funnily enough, after I recorded this with my 
our uh, coworker the other day, I feel like I've once again kind of since my the girl group experience, which was a couple years ago, I've kind of like distanced myself from doing music again. And that's when I went to like nutrition school and I'm still doing radio. And um, when this coworker of mine sent this to me the other day, it kind of got me like reconnected with how much I love making music. And so I like went through my computer trying to find some old songs that I had worked on. And I found the very first song that I ever tried to write on my own. And that song came from a place of serious depth. Like I was like in a lot of pain when I wrote it and sang it. And I'm just like, wow, that's freaking beautiful because it was just like so just it felt so raw and real um and going back to what you're talking about depth that's exactly what was happening there so i think that's like for me moving forward versus how i showed up in the the last group i was in i think that would be the biggest difference now is that i don't feel very confident in my writing my songwriting abilities but I think that's what I would really want to focus on is like writing songs and creating content that felt very authentic and felt like deep. Hmm. So yeah, you nailed it there, Brad. Hey. Well, there we go. Well, I, I look forward to hearing your your next EP. Yeah, is all I'm saying. And one of the one little sort of thing that we've brought up on the show before is like a little sort of um, words of wisdom was. The forest would be awfully quiet if only the most beautiful songbirds sung their song. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So I want to hear some music from you very soon. Okay. Uh, We're we're past the one hour mark, so um, we should should go through the motions. Hey, Brandon? Yeah, let's go through the motions. Sinead, this has been great. And you know what? I'm just going to say it, and you don't have to agree to it but I want you on a follow-up. <laughs> I want to check oh, yeah. in with you again. And I want to carry on because I feel like you opened up some great stuff here. And I know we're not going to get into it all, but this is a great like introduction to your story. And I feel like, you know, just from our audience and this kind of stuff that we're trying to do and trying to talk about, I feel like you touched on some really cool stuff that people need to hear. And Evan and I both need to be reminded of. And so that's awesome. So I'm going to be following up with you. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for, I'll come hang out with you guys anytime. Next time I'll just make sure I have a beer and we'll all just like hang out. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Evan, what are you drinking? Speaking of beer, well, I'm drinking, uh, I think this IPA that I think that you left. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I went place. over to his place and I left an IPA. Yeah, from uh, from <laughs> Tapworks. <laughs> I, I don't know which IPA this was because I think they've got a few. Oh but, yeah. Um, oh, I forget now. But it's a, one, it's it's great. Both uh, like Tapworks, the, all of their stuff is is phenomenal up here on the on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Is yeah. that do you like stuff really hot like a hoppy beer, Evan? Sometimes, sometimes, not always, you know. But I I I don't say no. <laughs> and this is a good one. Nice. That's great. I'm doing uh, I'm doing uh, something from Whistler Brewing Co. It's called Black Tusk Ale. And uh, yeah, Black Tusk, I believe, is a, a really cool mountain up there. And uh, 
I've been meaning to climb it actually, but they named it a dark beer after it because I think it's called black tusk because it basically gets to the point where there's no trees that grow. So it's like just black, like spread out mountain and the beer is very dark. <laughs> so there you go. I've been learning more about beer recently. My brother's like super, super into it. So he's been educating me on all the different kinds of, of beer. Um, so that the dark beer that you're drinking there, Brandon, yeah, is that, is it like a, um, what kind of beer is it? So it's an ale. So it's like ales tend to be darker and more flavorful. That's kind of the, the, the style. Um, it's pretty smooth for the most part, I think. Um, very like, it's very rich. This one, like, I think I, I tend to find that usually the darker the ale, the more rich the flavors are, um, mm. which is um, usually the richer the flavor I find, it's more like I'd rather just have like one for that kind of, it's more, it's more of a one beer type of thing. Um, when it's a little bit more tame when there's not as much flavor, I find then I can have more of that particular beer. I just find that for me. So with this one, it's kind of a, it's a very tasty beer, but I would probably only have one of them and then I move on to another beer, kind of beer. The variety is nice. Yeah. You know what we'll do when, uh, when things normalize again, one day we'll, we'll do an, we'll do a craft brew tour and you'll join us. Yeah. I'm so yeah. into that. Yeah. That we'll just try like all, all the different beers and we'll see what we think. Totally down. We'll yeah. film it. I love it. All right. Uh, Okay, well, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I'm just uh, going to launch it. So uh, we always ask all of our guests a series of questions, the same questions to everybody. So um, I think I opened up with our last guest, Brandon. So why don't you open up with Danae? Okay, you got it. I will. Okay. So yeah, these are just, these are fun questions because we get, we get a little insight into you in a really cool way. I think you'll like okay. them. Okay. What's the most important book you've ever read? Oh my God. Most important book I've ever read. Oh my God. That's so hard. Um, I feel like everybody always says the alchemist, so I don't want to say the alchemist. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh. I do feel like, I feel like every every different part of my life, there's been one that's been really defining. I mean, the first one, I feel like there's so many different categories that I could choose a different book from, but just in general, the first one that, that pops into my mind is um, it's called Skinny Bitch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, the reason why it's, uh, it changed my life quite a bit was it was like, essentially, it was a book about health. Like, they used like good marketing, they use this like skinny bitch title to try and get people in to probably lose weight, which as a a fat kid, it worked for me. Um, But I just got a lot of health insight from that book. And health is like, aside from music and everything we've been talking about today, health is my other largest passion. Hmm. So that that book was like pretty life changing for me. Or it took me down a path of, of a lot of life changes. Yeah, we didn't really get into the nutritionalist side of things, but you know, um, the next time you're on, we'll, we'll dive down that rabbit hole a little bit more sure. because I'm sure people would love to hear about that. Sure. Yeah. All right. Your second question. <laughs> what uh, is a movie that 
made the greatest impact on you? Ooh, these are hard questions because there's just so many good ones. I'm just going to go with like stuff that comes to me right off the top of my head because otherwise we could be here forever thinking and analyzing. Off um, the top is usually the best way to go. Yeah, I think honestly the the, the musical Chicago with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger because I I actually believe that like I was kind of meant to do musical theater. And like whenever I see movies like that like it's been on my vision board forever that before i die i want to be in a chicago musical there's just something about that musical in particular that was like it just really i just really felt it and i can listen to that soundtrack over and over and went and saw it in new york on broadway yeah it just uh it's it's a very like inspiring movie for me i guess hmm. Oh man, I got, you know, I, I have to say, I'm just, I'm buying a little time because I'm trying to look for the next question here. But um, <laughs> that was the first, Chicago was the first musical that I ever watched. And like, I I really started to like musicals actually, because I'd seen musicals, I think as a kid, but I was like, ah, whatever. But then I saw Chicago and it actually, I was like, these are cool. Right? Yeah. Just so note. much fun. <laughs> it's like, it combines the best of everything. It Music, does. dance. Yeah costume acting like to me those are those are like the best there's so many great films out there that we could say like which one had the most like emotional impact which one like there's so many different ways we could look at film but like for me that's just what i appreciate the most about art is is all of those things costume and makeup music dance and acting yes i think that's why i liked it because it had so many of the elements come together you know it was like so much coming together all at once yeah yeah Okay, here's the next question. Okay. <laughs> What's the song that takes you somewhere? Oh, well, it's interesting when you were talking about that, about music being nostalgic for you, the song that popped into my head was Aerosmith, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Mm. And it's actually not a great memory. It takes me back to like when I was in grade <laughs> seven and like said, I was the fat kid growing up. And I remember like being at this like little like party and all the like pretty skinny girls had boys to dance with. And I was just like, sitting there by myself feeling so alone and this Aerosmith song was playing. And so now every time I hear that song, it just takes me back to those sad, lonely days. <laughs> no, sometimes it's those, uh, it's those memories though, that like they're like in the weird, in the weird way, I think our pain is part of what like transforms our art. You know, like I found through some of my hardest moments, like, like that, like the best, most truthful voice comes out of me. So there's might be something real cool in there. Absolutely. Cool, cool I am out, not, a, yeah, I don't have any qualms or like fears with connecting with those like painful parts of myself and my, my past because I absolutely agree if anything, I think. And that's when you saw me do that first performance, Brandon, like that's essentially what I did with that song was like, I actually connected it to a past relationship that was like really still painful. And I think if, if you can really evoke any authentic emotion into your art, um, that's pretty awesome. Well, I mean, that that's awesome. He shared that because when you actually sung that song live, it really impacted me. And I think that's the transmutation of like emotion. That's like the, 
whatever you were connecting to. I mean, I still remember it to this day. I remember where I was sitting. I remember experiencing it. It's like, that's what, that's the thing about art that like, I'm trying to figure out in my own life is like, how can I trust that so much? Because I know that if I tap into that pain or whatever, that thing that it's going to land with somebody, you know, like the way your performance obviously landed with me. And it's like, yeah, like it obviously comes from a difficult moment in your life, but like, look, it moved me and I'm still talking about it. So what's that about? You know what I mean? I I think the more you can get comfortable with that and almost enjoy it because you recognize and you feel that this is creating a much more, a much larger, more powerful piece of art, the more that you can genuinely like just feel that and be feel good about that then the less you're gonna like you I think that trust piece just kind of coincides with that because you're just like this just this feels right this feels so much deeper and meaningful versus some other like more surfacey piece of art that like I created when I was in my girl group Mm. yeah we wore hot outfits and we sang like top 40 songs that were maybe going to get on radio but like it didn't have that same like real inner human essence. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Adele, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy was like, Hey, you should pay me some money because I caused that for you. <laughs> Barely followed up with her. So ridiculous. <gasps> oh, right. the, when she was married and they got divorced Yeah. and he wanted like all of her money pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> she used that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, your next question, where do you think creativity comes from? Ooh, that is a great question. I believe that we all are brought into the world with our own inherent, unique way that we, that we we all come into the world with our own unique way of doing things. And so I think when you can really connect to yourself and your emotions, then you just, yeah, that's a really good question. I do feel like there is a component, you know, everybody like talks about it, like coming from connecting to whatever the ethos God, the universe, that there's something beyond you that um, that people channel. You hear so many different artists, like I think Pharrell, there's so many artists who talk about this. They're like, it's, it, it's not for me. I'm like connecting to something greater and it's like coming, it's channeling into me. So I, I feel like there's, there's something to that. I think ultimately when you can connect fully to yourself and then also to that, it's like, uh, that's where the uniqueness of the person that you are combined with whatever that is, those two together is what creates like a super unique piece of art. I'm sorry, that's a horrible way of articulating it, but I've never really thought about it too much before. Mm. I, I, I enjoyed how you articulated that. Yeah, me too. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really think on that. And next episode, I'll have a better response. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that gives me something to think about for sure. I I feel like that's a. I feel like there's something really great in that. I mean, yeah. Think about it more, and let's see where that goes. (laughs) Yeah, because there's something about like 
let's just be honest. There's something about like my experience anyways, having a few drinks when you really relax and you, you, for me, connecting to yourself more, something that gets you more in your body and more connected to yourself and your emotions. It's like, it's easier to then access that unique creativity within you. And I don't know if that's because our minds get shut off more and we just get more feeling in our body. That's kind of my experience anyways. Anytime I'm like creating something, I'm like, and even as I'm talking about it, I'm like closing my eyes because I'm like kind of just like trying to like feel it instead of think about it. Mm. So there's something about that. And then combined with like, I don't know, maybe Pharrell's got something, something right about it <laughs> coming from some ethereal something. I don't know. I think there is something to that. I do. I actually do think that when we use too much logic, we actually stop creativity. And that's actually an exercise that I've been doing recently, Danae, which is instead every, so what I do is I feel something, but what I try to do, what I've done in the past is I would go, Oh, that's because of blah, 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 blah. And I tell some story in my head or whatever, or journal it. But I said, okay, that's not working. Why don't you just let the feeling be a feeling without a story and see what happens. And really interesting things have been occurring. Um, almost like things that are giving me kind of, this sounds weird to say, and I don't mean this egotistically, but almost genius ideas of solving problems that I've never been able to solve my whole life or uh, creative insights into scripts that I've just all of a sudden are popping out of like my creative, like ether, you know what I mean? And it's all because I'm just like letting the feeling be the feeling without the story and the logic and trying to justify it. So I think there's something in that. I, 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 I've been, I've been, uh, some, as somebody who's been shut off a lot personally from emotions as a survival mechanism, mm -hmm. I've been finding that just getting in touch with emotions is, is a, something in about creativity. That's just in that alone. Yeah. I fully agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like I said, anytime I'm, uh, doing anything, whether it's like editing a YouTube video or wanting to try to write music or whatever, it's all about like, usually a lot of the times what I will first do is like get on a, a piece of music that gets me more connected to like feeling some emotion just to kind of like spark the entry point into my own feelings. Hmm. But I think that there's something definitely there to that about like, what are the things that help you get more connected to your emotions and your, your body? Um, because I think that's where the authentic, unique to you creativity comes from. Yeah. Okay. Next question. How do you find inspiration? Ooh, how do I find inspiration? For music, for... For anything creative that you do. Hmm. I mean, like I think of like my creative, like creative writing, like sometimes when I share like creative writing stuff, like that just comes from just living life. Um, I think a lot of the time it just comes from being a, a self-aware person. Like, I feel like I'm like always somebody who's pretty self, like I'm self-analyzing myself a lot of the time. So if you get in the habit of being really aware of your emotions and the way you react to things in the world, then the kind of the inspiration never shuts off as human beings. We're always having emotional responses to things we're always having 
reactions to things. There's like a really kind of a never ending supply of potential content there. I think if you're always engaging with new things in the world, whether it's people or you put yourself in uncomfortable situations or different workshops, so you're learning something. If you're somebody who's always trying to like learn and grow, there's always potential for inspiration if you're just always being in tune with yourself and the way that you're thinking and emotionally reacting to things. Hmm. That's a great answer. Thanks. Not, not that my my opinion of your response is, <laughs> you know, means anything, but you know, it matters. We all like validation. It matters greatly. <laughs> uh, your next question: What is one thing you would tell your childhood self? Ah, um, just that she's like l- lovable and accepted and worthy, just as she is which I think we all want to, to know that, right? Like we talked about the not feeling worthy enough to create music, not feeling like we need to be perfect to do things. And I think that's uh, one of the biggest things is like I got the message at a young age that once I, once I like succeeded in something in the, out world, in the outside world, that's when I started getting a lot of love and validation. So I created this belief that in order for me to be loved and accepted that I needed to succeed and win i needed to be the best which has ingrained this like uh desire to constantly be achieving and to be perfect um so yeah if i could more so just tell that younger version of myself like you're you're good you're good the way you are that was great it's a message that i need to remind myself of some days (laughs) right don't we all yeah. And also, like, yeah, go get out there and sing. Like, just because people say this isn't a viable way of making money or living, like, or you don't think you're good enough, like, who cares? Do it because you love to do it. Mm-hmm. Do it because you love to do it. And probably go to, like, performing arts school. That probably would have been in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, like, I'm grateful for my career in radio. It's been great. But, like, you know how a lot of us have, like, what if I went down a different career path? I I really wish I could do my life over just to have, like, another experience of, like, going to performing arts school and going down that path. Mm-hmm. I have that fantasy sometimes. It's a yeah? weird one. It's a weird one. Because you never, like you always, you, the, the thing I learned about that fantasy is that fantasy, you always imagine the best outcome. Right. You don't think about the problems that might have occurred and you don't think about what you would have lost had you gone down that road. And something I've been learning to make peace with is that what if this path is the absolute best path I could have ever been on? Yeah. And the problem is not the path that I'm on, but my refusal to accept that it's awesome (laughs) right you know what i mean very very insightful very true okay last question evan you're gonna have to correct me if i get this one wrong because i actually don't have it written down so i go from memory but what would your future self tell you today Ooh, i love that question are we allowed to swear on this podcast of course oh we've already done it a bunch of times already (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking own it, baby. Just fucking own it. You know who you are. You know what you want to do. 
have confidence in yourself and just do it. Mm. Yeah. I love it. And with that, we've reached the end of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so great. That was awesome, guys. Yeah. Well, before we close entirely, do you, do you have, um, anything and you don't have to go first by any means, but we, we do like to do a little closing thought, something we took from the conversation, something to just leave, um, your final thought there. And that question I think was awesome, but I think there's a chance just to look at this conversation and go like, well, what's the thing we're going to walk away with and maybe someone out there that connects with them as well. I think the, honestly, the first thing that comes right off the top of my head is just how I've been really thinking a lot lately of the value of human connection. And I'm just really grateful for this conversation that we've had because we get to learn. I've learned things from hearing both of your perspectives. And it also, I think, is a great way to like, as we get into these conversations with other people, topics that we're passionate about, it re-invokes that passion for us. Um, and it reminds us of like, yeah, our own, our own art, our own passion, our own purpose. And it can help us to like get re-inspired to go, to go down that path again. I think it can be easy sometimes in the world that we live in to get distracted and to go down more the path of like the logical, this is smart, this is safe, this is stable, this is where I make my money. And I think it's really important to connect with other creative people to be reminded of the love for our craft. Mm. So thanks, gents. Yeah, thanks. Um, Okay, well, I'll tell you, I'll say this. This is my last thought, um, just to add to your whole conversation. I connected with so much of what you said. And um, I don't know, like there's, there's a certain perspective you have that I find like there's so many things that align. It's probably why we're friends and we connected immediately. But, um, you know, I think the thing that I'm really taking away from this whole conversation that I really want to walk away with is just fucking do it, baby. <laughs> you know, it's just like, there's, there's all this stuff and it's like, you know, um, it, it is reinvigorating and it's like, um, it just reminds me, it's like, yeah, like, you know, go for it because, whatever, whatever's kind of going on, whatever in the way. I mean, I think that was a great way to end it. And I just want to hammer that one home. I know it's somewhat redundant, but <laughs> I'll say I'll second it. I love that. And I guess then it just, it not just leaves me. Um, yeah. They're the best uh, for last. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Now the pressure's on. Um, no, you know what? This conversation is just, um, you know, it's reminded me that just like, hey, like we've all got our shit, you know, we've all got our vulnerabilities and the things that we're working through and that we're working on to to bring our, you know, our most genuine, passionate expressions to the world. It's not always an, an easy thing. Um, and I've just really appreciated your the courage of your vulnerability in, in talking with us, you know, You've you've just really, you know, shared a lot with us that, um, you know, just in the things that that you're still that you still struggle with, and and it's made it's connected with a lot of things that I still struggle with, and and many of them are the same things, and and just like yeah, we've all got we've all got our shit, and 
our shit is usually, you know, pretty similar and, and we share these things in common and, and, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth fighting for the things that we're passionate about and to keep working at it every single day. Amen. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I should have responded. The, my favorite book vulnerability is uh Brene Brown, the queen mm. Brene Brown, you know, daring greatly like vulnerability. And once again, we can tie that into our, our artistry is like nothing connects us more than vulnerability. So if you can fuse that into whatever you're doing and putting out into the world, people are going to connect with that. Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon, where we have tons of great bonuses. You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.